When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams And this is the Just Another Week in the NFL Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Yeah, once again, Evan, you and I have a mean uh, IQ of, you know, just uh, standard uh, D, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, standard deviation? Standard deviation above moron. <laughs> Thank you, as I just uh, as so evidenced by your exhibited there. there because I'm really tired. Uh, we're going we're gonna to raise it today with uh, Mike McCann, of course, our vaunted legal expert. And, and Mike, um, we use the word bombshell, and we try to stay away from adjectives like that in journalism, right? You know, we don't often want to be doing that. But this lawsuit by, by Brian Flores against the NFL, uh, you know, you, you put it in the headline and all the editors were good with it for a reason. Uh, just, just give me sort of your, your knee jerk when you saw not only the suit, but then, of course, got to peruse it and then sort of cherry pick some of the allegations made uh, therein. Yeah, this is a bombshell. I mean, this is something that I don't think anyone was anticipating. The fact that here's a coach who's 40 years old, who has who has opportunities to become a coach at another team, whether it's this offseason or next, taking on the league in a way that may make it much more harder for him to get a, get interviews, let alone a position going forward. And it's a bombshell because it goes at the heart of the NFL's sort of PR machine, which is to say that they're inclusive, that they're, that they're caring, that they're sensitive to issues of race. This lawsuit is saying that they're not at all, that regardless of what we see from the optics of it, that they're not acting that way, that they're not acting in the spirit of some of these rules. Of course, the Rooney rule is at the center of this, a rule that's designed to create opportunities for minority coaches. Uh, Flores' lawsuit suggests that even if that's a good intent, it's not playing out in a way that's positive. In fact, he argues there's racial discrimination that's occurring, that there are sham interviews and the like. So it's a bombshell. Honestly, this is, this is like the concussion litigation in some ways. It's that, it's that disruptive to the NFL for a league that doesn't like disruptions. This is, this is disruptive. It seems to me, and, and, and we should maybe just explain to, to listeners who, who haven't kind of read all of, all of about this lawsuit, Brian Flores, former coach of the Miami Dolphins, filed a, a civil rights lawsuit that he is hoping, it sounds like, is going to turn into a class action lawsuit, essentially accusing the NFL of discrimination. Part of his evidence, as you mentioned there, Michael, is that there, there's this rule in place at the NFL that, that teams have to interview minority coaches, candidates, before they hire 
a new coach, at least one. He is claiming that that he interviewed at least for the for the Giants job this year. A couple days after the Giants were already telling other people, he claims that they had already hired Brian Dable, which he sees as as evidence that 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 is a sham interview. Um, he, he accuses the Denver Broncos of something similar, and then kind of separately, which I want to ask you about, Michael. There's other stuff in this lawsuit which is tangential to his argument that is potentially even more damaging for the NFL and and the things that stick out in that category. He claims that Stephen Ross, the billionaire owner of the Miami Dolphins, offered him $100,000 for every loss that the team had in 2019 because Stephen wanted to essentially tank for a better draft pick. He also claims that that Ross pressured him to break the league's tampering rules. Those things are kind of mentioned as part of his evidence for his racial bias claim, but also feel like in their own right, they present its own kind of legal challenge for the NFL as well. All right, Mike, before you jump in, though, and part of the deliciousness of this is how he found out. You know, it, it, Bill Belichick, who who is, is makes no bones about his desire to stay away from all things social media and media in general, but you know, he'll say things like, oh, "I don't even know what the Insta Snap is or or the Twittergram." <laughs> you know, he'll say things like that. It, it seems as if maybe uh, you know, not not the biggest technophile in that it would seem at least th- this is what we're told by Brian Flores that and and text message meant for a different Brian, like congratulating him on the job with the Giants, went to Brian Flores. And he was like, okay, now if he knows he's already got the job, clearly the fix is in and I've yet to interview, but he still went. But just just the fact that it's, you know, Bill Belichick and and his, oh, no, I don't pay attention to the Twitter. I don't pay attention to, I don't have an Insta. I don't do all this stuff. The fact that he would, you know, maybe hit the wrong button on his phone and send it to the wrong person. That, that it just adds a little bit of comedy to a very serious subject. Yeah, for a federal complaint to have Bill Belichick text on the first page, I mean, who would have ever expected screenshots of his text on the first page? And those texts are, are important. Now, the Giants could push back a bit on those texts. For one, Belichick, even if he's plugged in, he's a former defensive coordinator with the Giants. Obviously, he, he remains connected to the team in some way. He's not the employer, so it's not his call whether someone's been hired, the Giants could say. And and secondly, we know that until a coach signs something, signs a contract, the coach may back out. Josh McDaniels, right, with the Colts five years ago, was going to – the team had an announcement on the website. It was it was further along than this than this time around. Hey, so, hey, coach is backing out. We can stick with Belichick. Ask the New, Jer- the, uh, the New York Jets about that. I resign as HC of the NYJ. I knew the guy based in New England would know it by heart. I, I got to, and it, le- and it led to a federal law- federal antitrust lawsuit with Jeffrey Kessler. Like it just, you know, who, who was of course the lawyer for Tom Brady and the lawyer in the Austin case. So it all comes around in a circle. But yeah, I mean, the Giants could say, so A is that they hadn't actually hired Brian Dable because he hadn't signed a contract. Secondly, coaches back out. Thirdly, even if they were going through the motions, they are going to argue they weren't acting in a racist way. They were acting in compliance with the rule. Uh, that, that's, that, that as a franchise in a league, they have to comply with certain rules, that they are meeting their contractual obligation as opposed to acting in a way that was discriminatory. A lot of people that I have heard already have made issue of the fact that the NFL in its retort said that meritless, right? There's baseless claims and the suit is without merit. What was not present in that statement was in any way a desire to investigate the claim. It didn't say we take this seriously and we will investigate. Do we read anything into that? 
So I, I think they can't know everything, right? They can't know that everything in there is untrue. There's no way they would have known within hours of the lawsuit that all of this is untrue unless they had prior access to it and, and was able to check things out. I would say a couple of things. One is that this was a public relations statement. It's not a state. It's not a legal statement. It has no bearing in the court of law. It's not a sworn statement. It's not an answer to the lawsuit. I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but it, it is a PR statement. It's designed to quell the controversy. I think the league could amend it later on to say, although the allegations are without merit, we of course will investigate claims of anything that could undermine the integrity of the game. So maybe that will spark some sort of investigation, but I wouldn't read too much into it. I feel like it, it, it's a PR statement. It doesn't, it's not a statement to the court. I mean, how, how does the league not look into it? At least again, going back to those, those, that hundred thousand dollar offer, an, an owner offering to pay a coach a hundred thousand dollars for every game that he loses feels like it runs against so much of what the NFL has talked about in terms of the integrity of its game. Again, this is just Brian Flores right now. Hugh Jackson, former coach of the Browns, was on Twitter earlier this week, right after this lawsuit popped out, hinting in his tweets that that he was offered similar, maybe a little bit of less money, but also offered money for the Browns to lose games a couple of years ago. Um, again, this feels like, they're, they're, even though the NFL, I think all three of us would agree, does a really good job of kind of protecting its own. And, and there's certainly a cynical way to look at this lawsuit that there's just not enough goods here from Brian alone for it to really move the needle. But it does feel as though just that accusation alone feels like it needs to, even just from a PR standpoint, warrant some kind of look from the league to at least pretend to wrap a tidy bow around whether that's true or not. Yeah, I don't know how they just discard it because, it, as you said, Evan, it's, it goes to the core of the league. We hear Roger Goodell talk about integrity of the game. That's, that's just a phrase that is used to justify all sorts of investigations. And although they're not obligated to do anything, I think it does undermine their brand if they simply discard it. And that's why I think that statement that was issued w was really just about whether or not they broke the law, uh, I think, as opposed to whether or not there are aspects. I mean, there's, they just can't, they can't know everything, right? They can't know that this is all untrue. So, it, and I think there'll be consistent pressure on them to do something. How does this turn into, so right now it's just Brian. He wants this to be a class action lawsuit. Walk us through kind of the next steps. Is, are, are, is he hoping that, that coaches reach out to him and say, hey, I'd love to join this. I also have evidence of a, of a team hiring someone before they called me the only minority candidate. Um, is that definitely going to happen? Is that maybe going to happen? What are the next steps in terms of this becoming a, a more dangerous lawsuit for the NFL? Yeah, he would love that if, if a coach reaches out to say, hey, or, or just a candidate for an assistant GM job. If you look at his proposed class, is, is, tries to be as big as it can because he knows that this is a, this is, there's only 32 teams and you know, there are only so many jobs. This isn't like suing a big company and you're a consumer where there might be millions of people. This is a, a finite group. So he would love if people come forward to say, I'd love to join your lawsuit as a named plaintiff. But do you think he has that? Do you think he files this lawsuit knowing that there are people that will join him? Or is he filing this lawsuit hoping that people will join him? I would bet the latter. I think he would try to have them on the lawsuit initially if, if he had indication that they were going to join. Rather than it's just him against the world, uh, I think it would be better for him. It's tough being the one plaintiff. I mean, I've seen this personally. You know, it's really hard to be the person suing. So, yeah, no, I... I so whether it becomes a class action, there's a certification process for that. We're way off from that. All right. We're chatting with Mike McCann, Sportico's legal expert. And Mike, 
I did not go to law school. However, I do watch a whole lot of Law and Order, and and I do fancy the, the the order part of it. You know, Jack McCoy, fantastic. So I know things like collateral estoppel. You know, I I can quote. You know, but look at look at Evan. He's very impressed by that. Now, my layperson's take, though, in all of this, and I've heard this throughout the years in all these suits, and this is not just germane to the NFL. The fear is getting to the discovery phase of the process, right? So uh, we would probably guess, you let me know right or wrong, the NFL will make a motion to dismiss. And if, for whatever reason, that the suit can survive that, then you, I think you've got the, the fire under the cauldron goes from simmer to boil. Because what they fear is or are owners under oath in depositions uh, with things, by the way, that will become public, uh, disclosing maybe the, the dirty laundry. That's the big fear. If they get to a point of discovery, then you, you've got folks that have to sit there and tell the truth. That is, I think, right, the, the, big, the big pressure that the leagues always face. Yeah, absolutely. This 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 is probably never going to go to a jury trial. Uh, it, it will be resolved well. We're years from a jury trial because this is a, as a prospective class action will go on for a long time. So the the threshold question is Scott, what you just said. It's getting past a motion to dismiss, getting into pretrial discovery, where owners would be and, and GMs and others would have to give sworn testimony. They would be confronted with attorneys on the other side, which is also an important point. A lot of these owners aren't used to that. A lot of these owners don't have people, you know, giving them hostility, right? Like in, uh, in a personal interaction, they're the boss. They're very wealthy. I mean, this is not an environment that they're necessarily going to be good in. Uh, and, and they may say things that are troubling. And we know with Colin Kaepernick, he got past summary judgment in the arbitration process. So his lawyers had something after talking to owners and getting records. Now, I don't know what it is. We'll never know because it's all sealed. but. I have a feeling that, so Scott, to answer your question, the league doesn't ever want it to get to, to get there. They will try to reach a settlement with Flores and other coaches that join before it ever gets there. Now, he may say no, but the league, of course, can write a huge check and uh, that may end up becoming a factor. And what I find fascinating, though, is he is still a candidate for several job openings. And he said, I told the teams that I'm currently talking to about the lawsuit. So if he gets hired, does it go away or does it not go away? Or does it maybe it does go, not away? go away? Okay. It does, it does not go away because, and I didn't mean to cut you off, it, it doesn't go away because the claims are in the past, that he's arguing over things that have happened to him. I th- the idea of Brian Flores being hired in this cycle feels uh, like, a non-zero, like a zero chance <laughs> at this point. It, it feels like, given the way that, that other people who have sued the league have been treated by the league, uh, it, it feels like a and insane to imagine that a team is going to hire him at this point. And I think he said it himself in, in the statement accompanying the, the lawsuit is that he recognized that he was likely giving up his career as an NFL coach to take this step and that he didn't want that to be the kind of the thing that held him back from doing what he thought was right. Yeah, yeah, particularly because the team knows that he is now sharing records of his interviews as part of the litigation. So I imagine they're going to they're going to treat the interview in a very uh, cautious, uh, formal, brief way without trying to say things that might end up appearing in a subsequent legal filing. 
separate from the the legal stuff, it it feels so abundantly clear. And this is just another brick in the castle of evidence that the NFL's Rooney rule and its approach to racial hiring is just not sufficient enough. The NFL said in its statement that uh, uh, diversity is is core and an integral part of everything that we do. There's one black head coach in the league right now with with a couple openings still left to be filled. Uh, There's been so much written about the Rooney rule, how a lot of people feel like not only is it not helpful that it actually might be be harmful in terms of of getting minority candidates into in, into the jobs that they deserve um, I am also curious kind of again regardless of what happens with, with the lawsuit specifically if this is maybe enough to jar the NFL to really rethink that rule to maybe take it off the books or to think more differently outside the box find some kind of better way to entice teams to be more fair and equal in their hiring practices I, I think it's going to be a, absolutely a reconsideration because at the end of the day, Evan, it, as you know, it's the team decision who to hire, right? The league, the league can't compel a team to do anything in terms of hiring. It's an employee of the team. So I, I think it, it, it's a challenge for the NFL. And, you know, maybe, maybe part of the discussion is how owners are thinking. You know, what, what are they valuing when they're making these decisions? Uh, and I don't know. I mean, but, but maybe getting into the gritty of the hiring process and it may not be ill intent. It may just be they're not factoring things in a way that, that leads to better outcomes. I mean, the L stands for league and NFL, but we might have to switch it to litigious, no? I mean, we just, just look at the Super Bowl, right? Look look who's hosting the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Look who's participating in the Super Bowl. The LA Rams, Stan Kroenke, was at odds with his fellow owners. I mean, that was settled, but I, I would imagine that Stan is probably not the most popular owner in the group when they sit around the table making decisions. But Mike, let's bring it back close to your heart and your home because also big news away from the legal. And that's okay. We want you to chime in on this too. Tom Brady finally stepped away from the NFL. What were the career earnings, Edmund? What, what were, how many hundreds of millions of dollars? What did it, almost 500 mil? 475 or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Something no, like you know, Mike, you're up there near Foxborough. Uh, the impact that Tom Brady had on not only the NFL, but your area in particular? There, it couldn't be overstated, the impact. I, I grew up when the Patriots played in the 80s, and they were horrendous into the 90s. Didn't you they and were, I have a conversation about Steve Grogan? Yes, I, we did have a conversation. <laughs> in our, in our I was a Grogan fan. I was a big Steve Grogan fan. They were, they were a joke. They were, literally, they were a joke of a franchise. Were that, those Victor Kayam's Patriots? Victor Kayam, Remington, yeah, right? Right. So uh, obviously Bill Parcells, uh, a couple of things. One is Robert Kraft making it impossible for James Bush Orthwine to move the team from Foxborough to St. Louis because Kraft owned the stadium and he wouldn't let the team out of the lease. Kraft becoming an owner, Bill Parcells played a big role in this too. Let's not forget Drew Bledsoe also played a pretty big role, but in but, Belichick. But I mean, Tom Brady gave two decades of of historic performance I mean, we've never seen that literally two decades of elite play and it galvanizing a fan base that this is patriots country I mean, this is new england is now patriots country if someone were to go in 1990 the patriots were fourth way down below the other three teams so again it's not all tom brady scott but i don't know of anyone more responsible than him and of course, he had a grand impact on the syllabus of Professor Mike McCann at UNH. <laughs> I mean, you taught an entire class on 
deflate gate and what were the principles that people will take away and remember from that case as it pertains to future sports law? So one is that you're, you, if you have a union and you're a player, make sure they do their work on player conduct policy. That the, the ultimate hurdle for Brady was that his union negotiated a terrible conduct policy that didn't allow him to introduce evidence, didn't allow him to get records. That's one thing. Another key takeaway is, and this is just sort of a life lesson, is law and science don't always marry. Uh, just because scientists are saying this is untrue, it's up to the commissioner. He's the arbitrator. He's the boss. And that ultimately won the day. Mike, were you offended that, that Tom didn't mention New England in his goodbye? I saw that there was a lot of uh, media pundits up in your area that were a little uh, upset that, that he didn't thank Patriots fans or the, or the Patriots specifically in his, in his goodbye. You know, no, I wasn't upset. <laughs> I think it's fine. You can, I think the, the, they, the New England has had him for two decades. Uh, I don't think he has to put them in every message, right? I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's a big deal. My my feeling on Deflategate, going back to that, and and this can actually be a, maybe even a segue to to talking about the Washington football team, but but thinking about the way the Patriots were treated in in the NFL's investigation of of that instance, and comparing that to the way that workplace misconduct at the Washington football team, for example, was treated by by NFL and its own internal investigation and and its you know outside investigators as well. I will always find that fascinating. I know you've talked a lot uh, and you and I have had those conversations before as well, but it, it does seem like the, the deflate gate got such a different response in terms of the veracity of what the league wanted to find out and needed to get answers for, as opposed to what should probably have been a more important thing for, for the league to have gotten to the bottom of in terms of some other franchises. And Evan, how about transparency with deflate gate, the league released everything. Mm, right? Perfect example. Hundreds yeah. of pages of documents. With Washington, it was a website statement that some that's saying that they did they did bad, ten million dollar <laughs> fine. They've learned their lesson, right? Like, I mean, think of the the contrast between those two approaches. And for Washington, there were people that were interviewed for the thing that were essentially begging and pleading for yeah. the NFL to, to to release more of that information. And and maybe I'll be wrong about this. It doesn't seem like we're ever going to see the contents of of what was found. That, that's the thing. It's like if you sign a non disclosure agreement, if someone waves it. That normally permits, I mean, I don't know why, if you, if you sign an NDA and then say, okay, I accept, you can release this, I mean, there isn't really an argument to hold on to it anymore. So, but at the end of the day, it, the league calls the shots and maybe that's the ultimate, the ultimate truth. Yeah, all, all you need is a couple of close playoff games and then people forget, right? It's, it's right back yep. to the on the field. And I mean, I, I'm not even sure people remember that happened. Frankly, they're just looking ahead at the exciting playoffs and how their parlays yeah. hit or did not hit. And, you know, that that's enough to make people forget things. That's right. How are we feeling about the commanders, guys? I kind of like it. What do you think? Personally, I don't, but I, <laughs> but I'm, it's, it's better than the, <laughs> what it was, that's for sure. Well, here are my two takeaways, Evan. These are the two. The lengths that people will go to, to sort of maybe get the information first. Did you see sort of the helicopter... Yeah, I mean, good journalism. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I got a good chuckle out of that. And I and I apologize to the journalist who did this. I don't remember where it was. But somebody had done a I did a a little recap of how you can hide your trademark applications, like the varying places. If either one of you read it, please remind me where it was. 
But I, I found it fascinating that like, oh, for me and you, be like, oh, just go check out USPTO.gov, go to trademark search, put in the phrase, and there it is, the things that people are trademarking. But it's just not that easy. I mean, I mean Mike, what, what do we need to know about trademark law in, in terms of the ability to keep things at least a secret until you're ready to, to get it out there? Yeah, there's an incentive to register or, or apply to register marks in far off, far off places that the public won't notice because that is helpful in terms of getting the registration because it's already, if it's already been registered in another country, then, and this is what the, the guardians, the guardians, did, yeah. right? So they did this approach. They, they messed up in terms of forgetting that there was another guardians in Cleveland. <laughs> so they were incredibly smart in one respect and perhaps over I, the most basic trademark search. Yeah. Where, where was that Mike? Was that Mauritius? Where, Mauritius. Where, good, yeah. good memory. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mauritius. Oh. Uh, so that was in Mauritius and, and teams will do that. I mean, it's, so it makes it impossible unless you're just a needle in a haystack. Uh, there's no reason why anyone would, would know that it's there. So that gives the team the ability to say, look, another country has, has recognized it. It makes it easier to get it recognized in the U.S. All right. He is McCann Sports Law on the Twitter. The other guy, Evan Novi Williams, can be found at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Cor Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will very soon become the Sportico Media Network. Notice subtle changes. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.